There's a quick announcement for our listeners who are based in New York. This Friday, July 14th, Jacobin is hosting a Bastille Day party at the Mayday Space in Brooklyn. It kicks off at 7pm with drinks and a live conversation with Tom O'Neill, author of Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA and the Secret History of the 60s. You can find out more by following the link on the episode page. Hello, you're very welcome to Long Reads, a Jacobin podcast where we look in depth at political topics and thinkers. My name's Daniel Finn. I'm the features editor here at Jacobin, and I'll be presenting the show. Japan may be a powerhouse of global capitalism, but it also developed a powerful socialist movement in the 20th century. During the Cold War, the Socialist Party led the opposition to the ruling Liberal Democrats. Japan today still has a Communist Party with a mass membership and a serious electoral base. Our guest today for a conversation about the Japanese left is Kenji Hasegawa. He's a professor of modern Japanese history at Yokohama National University and the author of Student Radicalism and the Formation of Modern Japan. How did the socialist movement first emerge in Japan at the end of the 19th century? Okay, so what happened toward the end of the 19th century was that Japan was infected with capitalism. And socialism emerged in the context of a surge in interest in social problems stemming from this infection. Japan experienced its first modern recession in 1890, with the second and third cyclical downturns occurring in roughly uh, 10-year intervals. People were coming to realize that the highly unstable and unequal nature of capitalist development. This was a source of bitter disillusionment, for there had been the hope earlier that development and increased production would lead to a new age of abundance and prosperity. The socialist movements of this period, they encompassed a very diverse grouping of thinkers and activists who sought to engage with the problems stemming from Japan's capitalist infection. While they focused on the problem of economic inequality, They also engaged with a wide range of social issues and political issues, including democracy, international peace, gender equality, ecology, animal rights, and so forth. Socialism did not exist as a unified and coherent school of thought or political movement. There were significant overlaps and influences with, for example, Christianity. In fact, most of the founding members of Japan's first socialist party, the Social Democratic Party, were Christians and anarchism as well. Socialist movements of this period were viewed as an existential threat by the imperial Japanese government and were subjected to harsh repression. The first Social Democratic Party was banned on the same day that it was established in May 1901. And 10 years later, the imperial government executed socialist and anarchist leaders for their alleged involvement in a plot against the emperor. The showcase trial of the so-called high treason incident aimed to weaken socialist influences through its terrorizing message, and to an extent it was successful. The years following the trial, up until around the time of the outbreak of World War I, have been called the winter years of socialism. When was the Japanese Communist Party established, and how did the Japanese authorities deal with the party during the interwar period? The JCP, the Japanese Communist Party, was established in 1922 
in the aftermath of the economic boom and bust of the World War I era, which ushered in a new era of social activism. In 1918, nationwide riots erupted over the soaring price of rice. In the following year, massive anti-imperial protests broke out in Korea, China, while in Moscow, the Bolsheviks and their allies established a common term with the aim of exporting communist revolution across the world. In the history of Japan's left-wing political parties, the establishment of the JCP in 1922 is seen as a much bigger event compared to the establishment of communist parties in, in Europe. In European context, there was first the establishment of socialist parties, which succeeded in, in taking root. And then after World War I and the, the revolution in Russia, communist parties were established and they came into competition and conflict with the socialist parties. In Japan, by contrast, while the Social Democratic Party was established in 1901, it was immediately banned. Socialism as a political movement could not take root in Japan before the interwar period due to strong state repression. Thus, the situation was not so much the communist movement branching off from the socialist movement like in Europe, but the opposite, socialist movements branching off from the JCP. The Social Democratic Party was immediately dissolved in 1901. The JCP lasted a bit longer because the party was an underground party from the start, but not much longer. In the aftermath of the Great Kanto earthquake uh, that destroyed much of downtown Tokyo and Yokohama in September 1923, there was a campaign of rumors instigated by Japanese state authorities that incited widespread massacres of Korean, Chinese, and other suspected enemies of the state by Japanese military police and vigilante forces. While the massacres were taking place, military and police officials opportunistically assassinated key leftist leaders under the cover of martial law. JCP leaders held a secret meeting in the Tokyo suburb in late October that year, and they decided to dissolve the underground JCP. The party leader, Yamakawa Hitoshi, argued that in the post-massacre environment, they had no, no choice but to first work toward building a legal party with a mass base. The JCP was re-established three years later, and shortly thereafter, the Comintern strengthened its grip on the JCP, expelling Yamakawa's group from the party. And Yamakawa's group later reorganized around the Japan Socialist Party after the end of World War II. How did the Japanese authorities deal with the JCP? They cracked down on the party harshly. In the spring of 1923, they learned about the underground formation of the JCP the previous year and arrested suspected members in Japan and Korea. Even before the establishment of the JCP, authorities were increasingly alarmed by the influx of radical ideologies such as anarchism and communism amidst the social turmoil of the, of the post-World War I era. In a famous case in 1921, an economic professor at Tokyo Imperial University was fired from the university and arrested for publishing an anarchist tract in the department's journal. Authorities also began drafting a security bill to crack down on radical social movements in 1922. The wording of the bill emphasized the foreign and insidiously subversive nature of ideologies like anarchism and communism. Proponents of the bill thought that existing legislation targeting acts of political violence 
was insufficient to stem the infiltration of dangerous thought that would undermine the nation from within. And this 1922 bill was not passed, but then the Great Kanto earthquake struck in September of the following year, followed by the massacre. Two years later, the notorious Peace Preservation Law was passed in 1925. And in this law, the term rumors did not appear. In its place, a powerful term signifying the sacred Japanese essence that rumors endangered was introduced into the law. And the, the word was kokutai, usually translated as national body or national polity. If somebody was guilty of trying to alter the kokutai, they would be punished. And in 1928, the law was revised so that acts against the kokutai were now punishable by death. More than 70,000 people in the Japanese metropole and colonial Korea were arrested or detained under this law. Initially, the law targeted domestic communists and anti-colonial activists. From the 1930s, it was extended to liberals and others who were seen as enemies of the imperial regime. And the law remained in effect until October 1945. In 1937, the Japanese Empire launched a full-scale invasion of China. This British newsreel captured the opening phase of the war. Nearly a hundred days of war in the Far East, nearly a hundred days of barking shot and whining shell, and on almost every one of those days, hundreds have been killed and maimed. As the opposing armies advance and retreat, dragging each other to and fro across the central plain like wrestlers locked in a death grip, they turn the fertile countryside into a scarred and scorched wilderness. Eight years later, the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki by two American nuclear bombs brought the Japanese war to a catastrophic end. The city of Hiroshima lies prostrate after the withering blast which wiped out 53,000 of its population. Four square miles of buildings levelled by the first of two small bombs that decided the fate of Japan. Harry Truman described the bombing of Hiroshima as a form of payback for the attack on Pearl Harbour. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima and destroyed its usefulness to the enemy. That bomb has more power than 20,000 tons of TNT. The Japanese began the war from the air at Pearl Harbor. They have been repaid many-fold, and the end is not yet. Pathé News reported on the formal surrender presided over by Douglas MacArthur. It is my earnest hope, and indeed the hope of all mankind, that from this solemn occasion a better world shall emerge out of the blood and carnage of the past, a world founded upon faith and understanding, a world dedicated to the dignity of man and the fulfillment of his most cherished wish for freedom tolerance and justice. Japan is finished as a major world power. Shigemitsu, in top hat, yellow gloves and morning coat, is first to swallow the bitter pill of unconditional surrender. What was the position of the Japanese left-wing parties, both socialists and communists, during the late 1940s? And how were they affected by the so-called reverse course of the US occupation and the beginning of the Cold War? It depends on what you're looking at 
and it depends on who you were when the reverse course started. And the situation was certainly very different between the socialist and communist parties, but um, you know when the reverse course started and how it affected them. And there are many turning points that we could point to, but let me just raise three of them. So the first one is the position that the reverse course pretty much began from the beginning. In a sense, the reverse course didn't exist because um, the course was reversed from the beginning. And the one, one thing that we can mention with regard to this position is the issue of the emperor, for example. So uh, Douglas MacArthur, the head of the occupation, you know, he was very adamant from the beginning that he was going to protect the emperor. And he thought that um, protecting the emperor was crucial for the success of the occupation. And obviously, the emperor was very much you know, a powerful part of the wartime regime, and he was a symbol of continuity. So in that sense, you know, that decision was made from the very start. Another thing that we can say with the position that the reverse course began in 1945 is from a regional perspective. If we look at what happened in mainland Japan you know, during the U.S. occupation, uh, certainly, you know there there are many progressive reforms that took place, you know, um, under the U.S. occupation. Um, there's no doubt about that. But those progressive reforms they were enabled by the regional context. So things like you know Okinawa being being made into a military base, and you know no reforms there. And a similar situation in Korea as well. There was no initial idealistic phase of the occupation there either. And you know those were the front lines of the Cold War, and Japan, mainland Japan, was behind those front lines, and therefore, you know, some of the early reforms could take place. So that, that's the first kind of position is that you know the reverse course began from the very beginning. Um, the second turning point that a lot of people point to is in, in 1947, the cancellation of uh, the general strike that um, the JCP and its, its unions were trying to conduct uh, the occupation orders that be canceled. And you know, th this was you know, kind of a, a shocking moment for these activists. And the third one comes a bit later, and that, that is the outbreak of the Korean War in 1950. So with regard to the first position that the reverse course began in 1945, we can't really say this for the JCJ, the, the Socialist Party, but it was to an extent the case with the JCP, the Japanese Communist Party. So for example, if you look at the JCP's stance toward the emperor, when the party leaders were freed from prison in October 1945, they made an appeal to the Japanese people calling for the overthrow of the imperial institution. They also emphasized that the emperor was a war criminal. During the wartime period, the communists were denounced as traitorous anti-Japanese ideologues and were simply thrown into prison for saying such things. In the post-war period, their position toward the emperor could not be dismissed so easily in ideological terms, 
The JCP's attack on the imperial institution was based on its strategy of a two-stage revolution that would first overthrow the emperor in a people's revolution to construct a modern nation-state, then move on to the second stage of the socialist revolution. The first stage of the revolution was envisioned as a nationalist revolution, where the Japanese people would rise up and overthrow their imperial oppressors. Popular support for or acquiescence toward the imperial institution remained strong even after the war. But the early post-war period was a period of flux, where attacks against the imperial institution from a nationalist position found a receptive audience to an unprecedented degree. And in fact, some of the people who were most vehemently against the emperor after the war were the fanatic young soldiers who had completely believed that the emperor was a god and uh, they were ready to die for the emperor. They felt betrayed when they saw the emperor uh, change his clothes from a military uniform to a, a civilian outfit and began cooperating with a former enemy while so many of his loyal subjects had died and killed in his name. In 1946, there was the so-called Food May Day incident, when May Day celebrations were resumed after having been suppressed for a decade. Rallies took place in major cities throughout Japan, and there was a massive turnout in Tokyo, with participants flooding into the plaza in front of the Imperial Palace. One worker who was a JCP member named Matsushima Shotaro, brought a placard uh, ridiculing the emperor. The occupation authorities allowed the Japanese government to arrest Matsushima and bring him to trial, and he was found guilty for libel of the emperor and sentenced to eight months, but released under an imperial amnesty. What this incident conveyed to the Japanese people was that there were boundaries to the new freedom of speech and assembly that the people were so excited about in the early post-war period, and that the taboos surrounding the imperial institution would remain in place in spite of the occupation's promotion of freedom and democracy. In 1947, the occupation ordered the cancellation of the general strike organized by the JCP and its unions, and this was a shocking event in the context of the reverse course for the JCP. It was not clear if their plan to topple the conservative ruling government through a general strike would be allowed by the occupation authorities or not, but it became clear the occupation ordered a uh, last-minute cancellation, and the JCP leader uh, wept as he was forced to call off the strike on the radio. The Socialist Party, on the other hand, did not really bear the brunt of the reverse course in the late 1940s because their foremost agenda was reconstruction, economic reconstruction of Japan. Unlike the JCP, they joined ruling coalitions in 1947 and 1948, and economists with ties to the JSP, the Socialist Party, played important roles in formulating economic policy. For the JSP, the real impact of the reverse course came with the outbreak of the Korean War in 1950, when, political, when politically contentious issues over war and peace became more important 
and debates surrounding economic reconstruction. The JSP split between left and right factions in the 1950s. What caused the split and what were the consequences of it? So the JSP was a member of a ruling coalition in 1948, but the coalition lasted only seven months. Uh, It collapsed after G2, the intelligence arm of the U.S. occupation forces, that was becoming increasingly powerful around this time, leaked information about a corruption scandal implicating the JSP leader, Nishio Suehiro, and other members of the moderately left-wing government. A trial lasting 13 years found Nishio and others to be innocent, but this did not help them in 1948 or 1949. Uh, The JSP's image was heavily tarnished and the party lost two-thirds of its seats in the 1949 uh, general election. And in the wake of this uh, devastating electoral defeat, the two factions, the left and the right factions of the JSP, debated the party's identity at its party congress. The left faction argued that it should be a proletarian party, while the right faction wanted it to become a national party with a wider political base. The outbreak of all-out war on the Korean Peninsula in 1950 drastically shifted the balance of power toward the left faction. While the demands for moderation and compromise toward the consensual goal of economic reconstruction favored the right faction during the early post-war period, after 1950, the polarizing effects of the reactionary turn in Japanese politics favored the left faction with its stance of principled resistance. So the right JSP grew moderately after the 1951 split. It sought to promote Western-style social democracy in Japan. In the election of 1952, its vote share um, of 11.6% was 2% higher than the left JSP. But in the subsequent years, the left JSP pulled, a, pulled ahead of its rival. By 1955, it had 15.4% of the vote and was the third largest party in the lower house. The growth of the left JSP was propelled by the fear that Japanese reactionary forces, aided by U.S. Cold War policy, were staging a comeback to imperil Japan's peace and democracy. The left JSP's urgent resistance to this so-called reverse course resonated more widely than the right JSP's vision of a social democratic future. And the organizational base of the left JSP in this period was Sohyo. Um, This union federation had been established in July 1950 with the backing of the U.S. on the ruins of the JCP-led Sambetsu, or All Japan Congress of Industrial Unions, movement. The Red Purge, where uh, communists and suspected communist sympathizers were purged from workplaces. This happened from the late 1940s. But uh, this Red Purge destroyed Sambetsu. And um, there were tens of thousands of 
alleged communist sympathizers who were who were sacked from their jobs. So the occupation forces and so the Japanese conservative government hoped that Sohyo would develop into a moderate and apolitical union that would be satisfied with bargaining for improved wages, but not um, meddle in politics. But things did not work out that way. While corporate management could purge some of its activists and appoint cooperative um, company men in union leadership positions, they could not win over the rank-and-file workers who had experienced the, the post-war disruption of the, the old workplace relations. And for these workers, you know, what was what they were experiencing in the workplace and the, what, what was happening uh, in the political realm very much connected. So the offensive launched by Japanese authorities after the, the Red Purge was an integrated crisis with um, the revival of pre-war uh, workplace culture and so forth. And in the face of this crisis, the compromising attitude of the right JSP leaders toward the San Francisco Peace Treaty, it overlapped with um, the wartime failure. You know, it, it looked like the, the opportunism of the moderate socialists who had, who had caved and uh, cooperated with the war effort. So these workers were the, the force behind Sohyo's radicalization and also the left JSP's split with its right faction. And, you know, these workers, they established a distinctive political culture within the framework of Japan's post-war democracy, where uh, labor unions played a leading role in political mobilization around issues relating to peace, including anti-base activism, anti-nuclear movement, and protests against the U.S.-Japan Security Treaty. And uh, Sohyo's activism struck a popular chord during the 1950s and succeeded in mobilizing a never-again sentiment against reactionary tendencies. In the second half of the 1950s, the two JSP factions came together under the same organisational umbrella. But they split again at the beginning of 1960, this time for good. Soon afterwards, the JSP's General Secretary, Inajiro Asanuma, was speaking at a televised debate with the other party leaders. A far-right nationalist stabbed him to death in full sight of the cameras. While he spoke, death came in the hand of an 18-year-old student. Twice he plunged a long knife into his victim while cameras recorded the act of murder and the frantic scene that followed. There was pandemonium as men fell upon the assassin, and while his victim lay dying, he was overwhelmed and arrested. His name is given as Yamaguchi, and he's reported as saying he planned the murder because Asanuma was a traitor to Japan. Ironically, the main subject of debate was to have been fair elections. Why did the JCP pursue a would-be revolutionary strategy in the 1950s, and what were the results of that strategy for the party? So the simple answer is that they pursued this strategy because they were ordered to do so by the common form in the context of the Korean War. Earlier, I talked about how the JCP was exceptionally sensitive to early manifestations of the reverse course in occupation policy. 
But despite the parties' clashes with Japanese and U.S. authorities over their stance regarding the imperial institution or over mass demonstrations and general strikes, the JCP did not definitively abandon its assessment of the U.S. occupation army as a liberation army. And part of the reason may have been that the U.S. occupation had literally been their liberation army. It's important to remember that when World War II ended in August 1945, JCP leaders were not liberated by the Japanese people. It was the order by the U.S. occupation forces that led to their liberation from prison. In any case, the JCP did not completely abandon hopes for working toward a democratic revolution cooperating with the, the U.S. occupiers. And in January 1950, the Communist Information Bureau, the Comment Forum, publicly criticized the JCP for holding the mistaken belief that peaceful revolution could be achieved under the U.S. occupation. It called on the JCP to lead a vigorous anti-imperial struggle against the occupiers. And in the next couple of years, JCP activists were throwing Molotov cocktails on city streets. They were sabotaging military facilities in an attempt to disrupt U.S. military operations in Korea. And they were entering mountain villages attempting to establish rural bases like the ones that Mao's forces successfully established in China. Communist rioters in Tokyo turn May Day into a nightmare as fanatical speakers whip 400,000 workers and students into hysteria with anti-American speeches. In 1952, Pathé News reported on a communist-led demonstration in Tokyo with unconcealed horror. They're chanting anti-US and anti-government slogans incited by well-trained communist leaders. A police cordon of 3,000 men sends a flying wedge to break the riot, and a pitched battle follows. Tear gas shells are fired at the rioters who fight with sticks, stones and bamboo spears. Among nearly 500 injured is our cameraman and one of his assistants. A serious battle rages round this newsreel truck. The rioting is inspired by red hatred for America and everything American. Many cars were overturned and set ablaze. American buildings are stoned. Many Americans were seized, mauled and beaten up by bands that roved the streets. The Pathé news truck races into the midst of the battle. At least one man is killed during this day of violence. 164 demonstrators, including some thought to be communist ringleaders, are jailed by Japanese police. These riots occurred four days after Japan regained her independence. Some observers see an unpromising start. But after five hours of street warfare, order is slowly restored. Japanese authorities say that these demonstrations do not reflect national sentiment. But the situation was not the common form uh, giving orders and a unified JCP obeying and carrying out those orders. The common form criticism led to a bitter factional split in the JCP and the ensuing military struggle by the JCP was very much affected by this factionalism. The JCP split between the so-called mainstream faction and international faction as a result of the common form criticism. 
the mainstream faction, which included the party leader Tokuda Kyuichi, initially dismissed the comment form criticism as a misguided statement based on ignorance of local conditions in Japan. The international faction, which included the party leader Miyamoto Kenji, who later became the leader of the JCP in the post-1955 period, stressed the need for a full acceptance of the criticism and a complete overhaul of JCP strategy. The majority of student radicals of the JCP joined the international faction. And they did so not simply due to the international authority of the common form, but because they had been frustrated by the JCP's leadership's moderation in the face of the reverse course. After the common form criticism of 1950, these students of the international faction really go on the offensive against the party leadership. They organize demonstrations and strikes with overt criticisms of the American occupation and overt criticisms of the JCP leadership using the international authority of the common form. They also looked to China as model for they thought that China had just successfully completed its revolution after a very long and heroic resistance against Western and Japanese imperialism. The Zengakuden, the, the student organization, was actually established on uh, September 18th, 1948, which was the anniversary of the Mukden incident, the, the Japanese invasion of Manchuria. And this choice of you know, the, the foundation date was based on the perception that Japan was rapidly reverting to its wartime period, which had victimized China. And now China had succeeded in completing its anti-imperial revolution. So the students in, in 1950, you know, after the common form criticism, they, they organized major anti-American demonstrations on days commemorating China's anti-imperial resistance, such as May 4th and May 30th. And the JCP leadership, they repeatedly reprimanded what they called the, the provocations of the factionalist spies. So they repeatedly tried to put down th th this activism. But over the course of the following two years, the JCP leadership eventually did accept the common form criticism, and they went beyond organizing mass demonstrations and strikes like the international faction activists. They ordered party members to throw Molotov cocktails and engage in guerrilla operations. As they did so, they repeatedly stressed the need to overcome factionless tendencies and achieve unity of the party. For the JCP leadership, its embrace of military tactics resulted from both acceptance of common form directives and also the, the utilization of these directives to punish factionalists and regain control over the party. Uh, what were the results of the JCP's adoption of these guerrilla tactics? From, from the party's standpoint, it was a disaster and it took time to recover from the damage from this period.
During the 1960s, Japan experienced a long boom that transformed it into one of the world's leading capitalist economies. This US educational film from 1961 put across an idealized picture of middle-class consumerism and social mobility in the new Japan. Mr. Nakamura is now manager of a research division for a large manufacturing company near Kyoto. He achieved this position largely through hard work and his knowledge of electronics. Before the war, Japan's rigid social structures might have prevented such an opportunity. Mr. Nakamura's son, Kiyoshi, is a sixth grader in the Kyoto Public Schools. It is Kiyoshi's mother who is most aware of the changes that have now taken place in present-day Japan. She keenly remembers her own childhood in the years just before her marriage. She enjoyed none of the freedom that Kiyoshi and his sister Kimiko now take for granted. How did the JSP approach the challenges that it faced as the main opposition to the LDP government during the 1960s? So after the 1960 protests, the, the massive protests against the US-Japan Security Treaty, which uh, ended in the resignation of the LDP Prime Minister, Kishinobusuke, the JSP found itself in a very difficult situation because it became increasingly difficult to mobilize the, the never-again sentiment against the reverse course and against the, the LDP. And a big part of this had to do with the, the adjustment made by the LDP. So the LDP prime minister in 1960, you know, before you know, he, he was forced to step down, was Kishi Nobusuke. And he was a very big reason why um, the anti-treaty um, protests you know, expanded to such a scale. He was a very hateable leader because he was a, a central figure in the wartime leadership. His signature was on uh, the declaration of war against the U.S., for example. His close colleague, you know, Tojo Hideki, was one of the, the leaders um, executed. You know, as a result of the Tokyo war crime trials. But he was lucky, and he escaped, you know, thanks to the reverse course, and rose rapidly to become prime minister again. So his connection with the wartime regime was very, very clear, and he embodied the reverse course, in a sense. And the things that he was trying to do politically, such as um, you know, revise the U.S.-Japan Security Treaty. Now, that, that was you know, what he actually tried to do. The, the second thing he was trying to do was to revise the Constitution. He did not get there. But you know, these things, they, they, they were kind of frontal assaults on the post-war democracy. But after he resigned, uh, the, the new prime minister became um, a politician named Ikeda Hayato. He was very different. Now, he consciously tried to, to um, create an image of himself as not Kishi. And um, to, to a large extent, he succeeded. So he, he was not a prominent wartime leader, but like Kishi was. And the other big thing is that he really emphasized this new national goal of doubling 
the income of the nation in, in 10 years. You know, let's get rich, he said. And the people said, yes, pretty much. It, it was a shift from politics to economics. So he said, we're, we're not going to uh, do a frontal assault on post-war democracy. We're not going to try to revise the constitution. Don't get nervous about that. Let's get rich. And and that, that was a, a message that resonated with the people who had experienced the, the massive protests where one, one protester had died uh, in the 1960 protests. So all in all, you know, Ikeda Hayato, you know, he's very different from Kishi. He, he came across as a relatable, clean and benign leader. What position did the two left-wing parties in Japan adopt towards the Soviet Union during the Cold War? Were they pro-Soviet or did they take a position of non-alignment with regard to the two Cold War blocs? As the 1960s progressed, the JSP and JCP exchanged positions on neutrality. While the JCP distanced itself from both the Soviet Union and China, the JSP did the opposite. It did stress that if a military conflict broke out between the U.S. and Soviet blocs, Japan should not participate in the conflict and it should maintain a neutral stance. However, it also stressed that the Cold War was a conflict between capitalist imperialist forces led by the U.S. and socialist peaceful forces led by the Soviet Union. The JSP's unarmed neutrality was limited to instances of military conflict. In normal times, the party did not take the stance of neutrality, but rather aligned itself with the Soviet bloc. Many people have pointed out how, from the 1960s, the JSP grew increasingly doctrinaire and increasingly out of touch with domestic realities. And there is no doubt about that. It is also common to talk about the JSP's rejection of a more realistic position, whether under the platform of structural reform or broad-based socialism or social democracy, as a fatal mistake that doomed the party. Regarding this latter assessment, it is also important to note that it is not necessarily the case that the adoption of structural reform or social democracy after the 1960s would have led to political success. When we look at the fate of the Democratic Socialist Party, which um, was originally you know, the, the right faction of the JSP, but broke off from the JSP in 1960, you know, the party adopted social democracy as its political stance, but they did not do so well. And um, you can see that this position was not necessarily the road not taken that would have uh, delivered political success. The Democratic Socialist Party's electoral results were disappointing from the start, and it never went beyond receiving 68% of votes in general elections. During the late 1960s, the established parties of the Japanese left were challenged by a new left student movement. The most radical offshoot of that movement was a group called the Japanese Red Army, which carried out a series of hijackings during the 1970s. Fusako Shigenobu was one of its leaders. 
Her daughter May was interviewed for a documentary called Children of the Revolution. My mother, when she graduated from high school, she was a typical Japanese girl who was very much focused on having a, a stable family, you know, living the Japanese normal life. The day she was going to start her university days, she saw um, some kind of protest, People, some students sitting down on the street. This protest was actually against the tuition increase. So as a person who was providing for herself and trying to pay for her own tuitions, she, you know, she immediately thought, yes, I'm against tuitions being raised. So she joined the protest. And that's where she started this activist life. Fusako Shigenobu relocated to the Middle East in the early 70s to work with Palestinian guerrillas in Lebanon. Her daughter was born in a Palestinian refugee camp. My life uh, as a child was on the move all the time. Sometimes we would live inside the refugee camps. But of course, being Japanese and having these Asian features, it wasn't so safe to be among refugees and you know, stand out. So our stay in the refugee camp wouldn't be that long. When we were there, we would, for example, share a room inside the whole family's house. You would have 20 people in the, sharing two rooms or three rooms. We had no electricity during the war, so we would have to have generators that run on oil. The bath was um, an oil drum, and you would have water inside that and some fire underneath that drum. As a community of Marxists uh, living together, we always had a big family of many aunts and many uncles and many fathers and many mothers. Of course, we know that we're not blood-related, but we really consider ourselves to be one family. Members of the Red Army carried out an attack at Tel Aviv airport on behalf of a Palestinian faction. Back in Japan, the group self-destructed in a bloody internal purge. The surviving members engaged in a shootout with police that was covered on live television. The siege had an audience share of 90%. After living on the run for decades, Fusako Shigenobu was arrested in Japan and sentenced to 20 years in jail. She was finally released from prison last year, long after the group she founded had become an historical footnote. How did the JSP end up forming a coalition with the LDP in 1994, which seemed like such a radical departure from its previous political line? What were the results of that LDP coalition for the JSP? And how has the party fared in national politics since it changed its name to the Social Democratic Party in 1996? So the JSP suffered period of decline and stagnation after a major electoral setback in 1969. The party attempted to make a transition in 1986 when it formally abandoned the doctrinaire leftist platform it had adopted two decades earlier, and uh, it adopted the new, a new stance affirming the principles of social democracy. But the same year, the party's performance in the election was its worst to date, and this setback forced the JSP to change its leadership. And there's a remarkable surge in JSP support that followed under the leadership 
of Doi Takako. And she was a very new leader. She, she was a kind of straight talking leader who did not come from a trade union background. In 1988, you know, she rejected the LDP's unpopular proposal for you know,、uh, consumption tax with、um, a phrase for which she became famous what is unacceptable is unacceptable. So, under her leadership, the JSP was, was greatly aided by a series of scandals that engulfed the LDP. And、um, in the upper house election in 1989, It received 35%, 35.1% of the vote. And this was higher than what the LDP received. This was a, a remarkable, remarkable turn of events. But the JSP could not build on this success. By the following election, the sentiment had shifted and、um, its, its fortunes declined once again. And In the upper house election of 1992, the JSP's vote share halved, and the party lost nearly half its seats in the lower house in 1993. This 1993 election is actually more famous as the election where, again, a scandal ridden LDP suffered a major electoral defeat, and this time was finally ousted from power. And replaced by a non LDP coalition government, which the JSP joined. People talk more about the LDP's historic defeat and that the JSP was able to join the ruling coalition. But in terms of electoral seats, it was the JSP that lost the most、uh, in this election. Even after this electoral defeat, the JSP was still a significant presence. Uh, especially in the extraordinarily fluid political situation after the, the 1993 election. But the JSP was clearly not in the driving seat of the coalition government. When a new non LDP coalition government was formed, the JSP angrily refused to join、uh, due to the political maneuverings by political fixers, powerful fixers. That sought to limit JSP influence. And it was in this context that the LDP leader approached the JSP and offered the post of prime minister to the JSP if it would join its coalition. The JSP accepted, and the LDP was able to return to power. The JSP leader, Murayama Tomichi, Became Japan's prime minister, and、um, he was the first socialist to hold that position since the late 1940s, and also the last. He announced what he called a great transformation of policy in the JSP, expressing support for Japan's military alliance with the US and deeming the self defense forces to be constitutional. But the JSP had built its identity around An oppositional stance on these issues. So, supporters of the party perceived this, this abrupt change, this, this so called great transformation, as a great sellout. And it's also worth noting that the JSP was very unlucky in its timing to lead a government 
two historic disasters uh, struck during Murayama's short premiership. In January 1995, there was the massively destructive earthquake in, in the Kobe region. And two months later, there were the, the sarin gas attacks on the Tokyo subways by the religious group um, Om Shinrikyo. In January 1996, the JSP renamed itself the Social Democratic Party, uh, adopting the name that had been rejected at the time of its foundation. The new organization inherited the JSP's position as the second largest force in the Japanese party system, but it lost that position by the end of the year. In the lower house election of October 1996, the Social Democratic Party came in fifth with 6.4% uh, of the vote and just uh, 15 seats. The Social Democrats have spent the years since then uh, battling for survival, uh, barely surpassing the minimum 2% vote share needed to participate in national politics. In 2009, Franz van Kat carried this report on the fortunes of Japanese communism after the Cold War. Skashi joined the Communist Party six months ago. He works at an internet cafe six days a week, ten hours a day, and makes 1,400 euros a month. My salary is too small, and I have no unemployment insurance, no health insurance, and no pension. Under Japanese labor law, the companies are supposed to pay for all of that, but they don't. I have no paid vacation or even break time during my day. I work alone, and I cannot step away to go to the bathroom. The communist revival has also been boosted by literature. This publishing company has published a manga form of Karl Marx's Capital and Kanikosen, a 1929 Japanese novel about exploited workers on a crab boat. The first one sold 100,000 copies, and the second one, 250,000. When we began working on the project of capital, the economic crisis had already begun, and that's why we decided to publish this book. But still, we never expected it to become such a hit. From the late 1960s, just as the JSP was beginning to lose electoral support, the communists actually increased their vote share and gained a new lease of life. And after the Cold War ended, when you might have expected communism to decline and decay as a political force, the JCP not only survived, but actually went on to achieve some of its best election performances to date. How would you explain the reasons for that survival into the post-Cold War era? Regarding the late 1960s, part of the answer, and the, the most simple part of the answer, is that the JCP was able to absorb some of the electoral support that the JSP lost from the late 1960s. But the basis for this change was laid in the earlier periods. If we go back to 1955, uh, this was a year that the left and right factions of the JSP reunited after its 1951 split, and the conservative LDP was established. This was the formation of what is known as the 1955 system, a kind of 1.5 party system where the LDP uh, was the perennial ruling party and the JSP was the perennial opposition party. 
1955 was also very important for the JCP. This was a year that the party held its Sixth Party Congress and officially renounced its military struggle of the early 1950s. A period of confusion and turmoil followed, where the party leader Miyamoto Kenji and his allies sought to reconstruct the party. And in the early post-war period, a powerful source of the JCP's popularity was its wartime resistance. And Miyamoto was an embodiment of that resistance. He was one of the the JCP leaders who endured imprisonment and torture uh, by the wartime regime. So he he had that those credentials. A turning point in Miyamoto's efforts to reconstruct the party came with the party's adoption of a new platform in 1961 that characterized Japan as an advanced capitalist nation that was simultaneously an American client state, and this was a realistic assessment, a flexible assessment based on Japan's geopolitical position that departed from its earlier formulaic insistence based on inherited revolutionary categories that Japan was a backward colonized state under the hegemony of U.S. imperialism. In the 1960s, the JSP moved away from its stance of independent neutrality in the Cold War toward closer ties with the Soviet Union. The JCP, on the other hand, moved away from both the Soviet Union and China and adopted the position of independent neutrality. The JCP first cut ties with the Soviet Union by aligning itself with China during the Sino-Soviet split of the early 1960s, along with uh, the communist parties of North Korea, North Vietnam, and Indonesia. But the JCP also made it clear that it was not going to blindly follow the Communist Party of China and stress the principle of of what they called autonomous independence. The JCP's stance of independence from both Soviet and Chinese authorities meant that they could no longer rely on monetary support from international patrons. And one of the important ways they, they compensated for this was through its party newspaper, Akahata, or the Red Flag. In 1960, the newspaper was made into a daily newspaper. The following year, they increased the pages and added sections on daily life, sports, and television and radio. The paper contained solid investigative journalism, and its sales increased rapidly from the late 1960s. So did the number of party members, and so did their votes in elections from around this period. And their success came not from labor unions, but rather from a more diverse group of people, including small business owners and women. We talked about how in the JSP, Eda Saburo and his movement for structural reform was defeated in the 1960s. And actually, the idea of structural reform had early roots in both the JSP and JCP. There were study groups from the late 1950s, including members from both parties. And two of the leading figures in these early study groups were the Ueda brothers, Ueda Koichiro and Ueda Kenjiro, the latter better known by his pen name, 
Hua Tetsuzo. The two rose rapidly in the party ranks in the 1960s, and Hua Tetsuzo was chosen by Miyamoto Kenji to be the new Secretary General in 1970. Hua was only 40 years old at the time, and the Japanese media called him the Prince of the JCP, and he remained powerful in the party uh, for a very long time. The contrast with what happened to Eda Saburo in the JSP is very striking. So Hua Tetsuzo became the new face of the party, and his emergence also signified the JCP's transition into a full-fledged political party within Japan's parliamentary system. The Party Congress of 1970, where Hua became Secretary General, was the first Congress where the full schedule uh, was made available to the media. The JCP won more seats in both houses, and the media began to treat them with respect as a legitimate member of the parliament. And the JCP also changed. They no longer opposed uh, everything proposed by the ruling conservative government. If they judged uh, legislation to be in the masses' interest, they would cooperate. They would make proposals to improve the legislation. Sometimes there would even be cases where only the LDP and JCP supported legislation while all other parties opposed. The JSP, the, the socialists, occasionally resorted to physical obstruction of parliamentary procedures, such as the, the so-called uh, cow walk, uh, where uh, diet members would uh, deliberately walk uh, very, very slowly uh, to obstruct the voting process. But the JCP, uh, the communists, they refrain from such tactics. So the JCP was able to establish itself as uh, a full-fledged legitimate political party. Nevertheless, the end of the Cold War did bring serious challenges to the party. The JCP had already established an identity independent of and critical of uh, Soviet authorities, and the party leadership stressed the collapse of the Soviet Union proved them right. But there was no denying the widespread sentiment that communism had no future. And there were voices from within the party calling for a transition to social democracy and a more open and democratic uh, party governance. Some prominent party members were expelled from the party for expressing uh, such views. Adding to the difficulties of this period was uh, the change in the electoral system in 1993 to a single-seat constituency system, which was uh, disadvantageous to small parties like the JCP. But amidst all these difficulties, the JCP was saved by the JSP. The JSP, as we saw, joined a coalition government with the LDP in 1994. It abandoned its stance of unarmed neutrality to the dismay of its supporters. What the JCP did is that they, they moved in to adopt this principle. It began to really emphasize the value of Article 9, the no war clause of the Constitution. 
and it was able to position itself as the sole progressive force in Japanese politics. And uh, this was a big reason for the JCP's ability uh, to survive the end of the Cold War. Many thanks to Kenji Hasegawa for that introduction to the history of the Japanese left. You can read his articles about Japanese socialism and communism on the Jacobin website. Long Reads is supported by University of Nebraska Press. One book you might enjoy is A Different Trek, Radical Geographies of Deep Space Nine by David K. Seitz. It's the first full-length study of race, capitalism and geopolitics in the fourth series of the Star Trek franchise. There's a 40% discount available on a different trek when you use the code 6AS23 on the University of Nebraska Press website.